Hey yeah. man, this is Tommy Chong. This is the Chillinoy Podcast, so enjoy the episode. get a bowl loaded and let's get this show on the road so folks you uh if you listen to the show or you follow us on social media you've seen that i've been posting and trying to learn more about uh the process of cannabis remediation and in the spirit of that i'm bringing on somebody that's uh, done a little bit more reading than i have on it um benny won't you introduce yourself uh, hi guys uh my name's benny uh this is my first time on the show I'm currently a master's student studying total quality systems and engineering. Um, and with that, I've had to do a lot of research with my classes. Um, and some of my research led me to tour Arrigo Labs. And uh, with that, I learned a, a lot about how the industry works to pretty much help their product get through testing in order to push product to market. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, these techniques are used. I've seen them. So first of all, I just want to say that um, I realize for some folks that this is a con- uh, interesting topic. And for some folks, for some reason, it's a controversial topic. Like I brought it up and a lot of people were saying um, that I was like making it up or that I was trying to like make more out of it than, than what I than what it is and really i've just been trying to ask questions and and for folks that think that it's fake i guess um if i mean there are plenty of companies out there that offer these services and the basically the line that they sell you on is that you're it's a guaranteed way to test or to pass qa testing or your quality analysis testing so right yeah so Irradiation remediation technology um, is a process that's not anything new. It's been used in the food industry and it's been approved by the FDA since the 50s. I'm pretty sure uh, I think you've made posts about that. Yep. But with that, it's commonly used in meat products and certain vegetables, such as like potatoes. in meat products, the irradiation technology can eliminate bugs and larvae that may be contaminating the product. Um, and then in fruits and vegetables, it'll slow down how long it takes for them to become overripe. It'll also like delay how long potatoes sprout for. Is they take gamma rays or x-rays in extremely high levels um, higher than most medical x-rays um, and they pass the product underneath these x-rays and then they blast x-rays through them um, and when they blast x-rays through them it can kill bugs um, it can help like sanitize per se it'll also remediate mold if that's also present yeah I've heard that um, I've heard that the astronauts remediate their foods, um, some of their foods at least, before going yeah, into space. Yeah, so, so with space, 
it's really important that they take like sterile foods up there. Yeah. Because um, with that, I know they have to remove virtually all the moisture content from their food, and they want to make sure that that water content that they're removing isn't leaving any like mold or bacteria behind. So they aren't ingesting anything foreign while they're in space. Sure. Oh, hey, when you uh, start that sentence over, when you asked your, uh, when you asked your blunt or whatever you're smoking on, uh, your mic wasn't picking you up. Um, so it's important to note that the FDA does approve these techniques. However, these techniques are done in government approved radiation facilities when they're used in the food industry. And there's also labeling requirements stating that these products have undergone these remediation techniques. Actually, because we all know it's not federally legal, so there's not really any way to research like the long-term effects of what we're doing. Um, but they have found that in food, um, I found some data from the for food safety and it stated on its website radiation can do strange things to food by creating substances called unique radiolytic products interesting um and keep going um and these substances might potentially cause and like play a role in certain conditions forming over time with consumption. However, there's no real way to tell if any of this is applicable or if cannabis will absorb some of these like radiation, like trails per se. That's pretty crazy to hear, you know. Um, so one of the things I latch on to is the fact that there's a requirement to label the product as remediated and I don't see that um, I don't see that being the case with cannabis which um, from what I'm hearing these remediate especially the irradiation technique um, is becoming more commonplace um, and I'm just surprised uh, not only here in the United States by the way um, I've heard that it's becoming commonplace in, in Canada um, there are also foods that have been approved for irradiation in Canada and cannabis is on that list. So, um, but, but no label for letting the consumer know that the product has gone through this process. And like you say, with cannabis, the, the status, the schedule, um, that the DEA has it at, it's hard to conduct any research to determine, you know, if there are any ramifications to these techniques. Yeah, exactly. And Illinois, from my observations, from being a former industry employee, the labeling requirements like do tell the patients how much total cannabinoids are in the product and that they have passed the necessary screenings before they were packaged. However, they aren't very, like thorough. They don't have very many intensive requirements. I know other states like Pennsylvania require 
the cultivators to label their terpene content right so that patients can help figure out what works best for them but illinois doesn't have any sort of requirements requiring the cultivators to give that information to the public you try to ask for lab results and might just get told well you have the thc percentage and that's all you need yeah yeah we i've heard that you might get better luck with requesting lab results if you contact the cultivator directly but i've also seen people not have great luck with that so i mean um at the end of the day i do believe that they are obligated to provide that coa or certificate of authenticity um but i understand uh that it is pretty hard to actually get them to provide that i've you know you're not alone in that experience i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah i remember working for a dispensary and asking to just look at some things and then the cultivation sites just not getting back to anybody about it yeah yeah it's pretty wild. i guess like the big picture here is that like the industry does a lot of things to make sure that they can supply a large demand with very little existing infrastructure but there seems to be a lack of accountability for the cultivations and what they're required to do um and then i guess the easiest way to like demonstrate this would be uh, looking at the absence of regulation regarding product replacement and recalls. What do you mean by that? Like, so the state doesn't have any laws currently that require the cultivations or the, the dispensaries to replace defective or missing products. Right. However, it's just kind of done on a good faith basis right now. Right. And I know that there have been some laws that the state has started to consider about it, but I don't think that any progress has really been made on that. Correct. But it also wouldn't surprise me if the cultivations were not using government-approved irradiation facilities when they're remediating their product as well. One thing I was about to try to bring up, I'm having a, having a bit of a time trying to find it um but there's an article or there's a document that kind of breaks down illinois testing standards and this is this is the reason why i think you see it a lot here in illinois um the thresholds for mold mycotoxins um and and other things like pests pesticides all, all those residual solvents metals they're all super low which sounds great and should be great for the consumer right because what that should mean is that you're getting a, a higher quality product a you know tightly regulated product however you want to say it um, but what it has become because they're in, applying industrial farming techniques um, it's become uh, just part of the harvest process you know um, instead of it being like a last resort or whatever it's become part of the process and so um you'll find product on the shelves in michigan that what you wouldn't find on the shelves in illinois because it wouldn't have passed illinois qa testing each state 
varies the the standards of or the thresholds for testing uh, vary from state to state Illinois being one of the stricter states um, and what that has caused to happen is a lot of product being turned away um, and ultimately having to be destroyed uh, because it tests hot for mold and so in order to avoid that whole debacle in order to try to avoid any loss of profits these cultivators now are adopting this into their um, process for harvest and uh, yeah it's pretty pretty crazy stuff so I wanted to set the stage for because I don't think I've done that yet on air like set the state because we're talking about you know these techniques and we're talking about the fact that it's popular in Canada and it seems to be popular here here in Illinois but why right compared to other states and that right there is the reason why I mean our testing standards yeah I know I think one thing that's important to note is that Colorado's laws I know they were one of the first states to legalize for recreational use their laws don't require that the product be tested for mold at all before it's put in dispensaries. However, I do know that with Illinois, there are regulations that allow products that have been testing hot for mold to be distilled because when they undergo distillation, they reach right. like supercritical low temperatures that theoretically should eliminate any of the bacteria or mold. And then a lot of times that byproduct is in turn, like it's speculated at least that it's used in edibles and the concentrates that we see on the market. Right. Yep. And I'm glad you brought that up because that is um, one of the things that uh, people aren't as aware of, like if you if your product, like you say, tests hot for mold, for example, you can you have the opportunity to repurpose that product into a concentrate, which you can infuse. And I think what's really scary about that is that <laughs> oftentimes you're left with the end product, which is like a nice looking chocolate bar or a little vape pen. And you don't realize that that's actually the byproduct of something that went wrong. And uh, to find to to actually quote the language, I finally found um, the document from the Illinois uh, from JCAR, which is a legislative body in Illinois. Um, if the sample failed any other test, the batch may be used to make a CO2 or solvent-based extract. After processing, the CO2 or solvent-based extract, extract must still all pass, sorry, must still pass all required tests. Um, so it's, uh, it's kind of interesting to, to think about how they repurpose that product. Yeah, exactly. Makes you wonder why they have the issues so bad in the first place. Right. Well, I mean, the theory I've heard is that, you know, because people will point out that homegrown cannabis is great, and some people will point out that, of course, it's great because you only have to tend 
to two or three plants, five at most here in the state of Illinois, like you should be pumping out great product versus, I guess, some of these uh, operators that have, you know, ballooned to 250,000 square feet. Um, and frankly, the, the hypothesis goes that they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, like I say earlier, like I said earlier, they're applying industrial farming techniques to something that people are expecting to be kind of like a craft boutique product. And that's what they're paying for too. That's the price tag. Um, you know, but what they end up with is this kind of machine trimmed industrialized product. Um, and yeah. Yeah. I think I'd also have to agree. Like I know that in my experience with home growing, like it's definitely a craft product that you're able to produce because you can say, Oh, I want to make sure that I use pure water and organic nutrients or do these things to try to make the best products possible. And I think sadly the industry sees a lot of overturn and with that overturn, it makes it so that the people that might be in positions don't necessarily have the right training yet because the person before them didn't have a chance to properly train them or whatever. And it's not to talk down on anybody in the cannabis industry because there are definitely cultivators that are producing excellent quality products. However, those cultivators you don't typically find readily available. Yeah. Um, and in general, like you can tell certain lines of product are definitely meant to be intended, like just for people that want to catch a buzz, like the recreational market. But yeah. Well said. Um, so, I mean, to uh, kind of get back to remediation, um, so one of the main things you said is that it's approved by the FDA for use with foods. Um, it's pretty commonly used for some foods, uh, like you say, potatoes, meat. I heard cashews was one um, that it's commonly used with. Um so do you think there's any reason to, well first and one of the things we talked about was that you know there are labeling requirements with foods that are remediated and it's kind of interesting that cannabis you know isn't subject seemingly to those same rules or regulations um i guess my question is do you think there's any reason to be concerned Um, I'd say that while it's considered safe in food and it's accepted in Canada, I'd say there is a little bit of concern, but that's just, it's more of a personal, like, opinion because of how much I've researched cultivation and how much I know about the extraction process, but... Overall, like, I just think that, like, a lot of things that are happening really fast around the world today, 
Yeah. Like there's just not enough data yet. And right. some of the studies that have been cited here might not have been replicated more than once. So that they're not necessarily set in stone evidence. However, overall, um, I know that there's also been studies that have been done that uh, linked lab rats. Um, so I found information about a study done in 2001, and it linked colon tumor production in lab rats to a compound that is found only in irradiated foods. And that compound is 2-ACB. And let me, if you give me just a second, I can find out more about that for you. Sure. Yeah, and um, I mean, if you're able to um, send some sources so that people can do their own research, I can throw um, citations in the podcast description for folks if you're able to send me anything. Yeah, I can definitely do that. Um, I have a file with all the different notes that I have. I can just send you that and include the links on it for you. Sure. Sure. Yeah, well, cool stuff. Um, crazy stuff. Right, yeah. Who would have thought we'd be blasting weed with x-rays just to make sure that we can constantly have a supply in dispensaries. Yeah. And I mean, my thing is that I think there's a reason that people aren't talking about this. Yeah. yeah I'll just keep I it think, at that. <laughs> yeah. I think sadly there's a lot of uh, curtains that are put up that prevent yeah. the general public from learning more about the products that they're getting. And that is really sad, but I mean, it is what it is. Hopefully, in the coming years, legislation can become a little more progressive and realize that there might be some reform that needs to happen. I think one of the other problems, and that's an entirely different topic to look into, um, but one of the other problems is that um, there's no agency right now that's going to the testing agencies, making sure that everything's done properly. I know that all the testing facilities are all ISO certified. However, like, it's a whole other topic you could get into about testing and how some products you see get to crazy high percentages and other ones barely hit like 25%. Yeah. Do you have any hypotheses? that you can share as to how they do that or what might be going on? Um, so I would say some of I've the heard information about it in other states, you know, it's... yeah. So some of the information that I've heard and I actually heard some of it from the lab um, is that some of the testing um, agencies that the state has approved have the technology and the advanced equipment to be able to test up to like 16 of the major and minor cannabinoid. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of the other ones have um, technology that's capable of testing up to about 10 of those. So if you can add 10 parts together, 
you can get to one percentage, but then if you add 16 parts together, it's easier to reach yeah. bigger percentages. And I think you can see that too on some of the labels because you'll see that I've got in front of me right now, it says 3.49% THC and 69.95% THCA, but the total is 7427 if you add those up, those don't equal that number. So there's got to be background cannabinoids and stuff that aren't even required to label. Right. Yeah, that's something we talked about in a recent show. They basically require you to label like five cannabinoids. And if you have mm -hmm. some testing outside of that, you're not necessarily required to list what those are. On the right. Yeah, because I know... Like, if you can detect the CBG and the CBC and the CBN and, like, all of the precursors to those, that's a lot more that you can, a lot more components that you can add up to reach your total number. But I also think that there's strategic planning about why the state doesn't require a delineation between t total cannabinoid and what max THC would be. Yeah. I know like other states, if you go out and get an RSO, I know, but we won't use an RSO because there's not decarbox that you have to account for. Yeah. So we'll say if you go out and get a gram of wax from another state, say Colorado, you'll see that it's labeled as total cannabinoids like 8,700 for a thousand milligrams or one gram. And then you'll see that the total THC is labeled around like 72% uh -huh. because that's how much you actually consume after some of it's burnt off and converted um, so obviously like, I know I've had some, some of my product I've had tested, like from my home grow, it came out to 24% total or 24% total cannabinoids. But after the, uh, formula is ran, it like, it'd be about like 19% that you'd actually be consuming. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's very strategic that they don't require the cultivators to put total THC. They just have to put the total of everything before it's burnt off. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, it likely is strategic because if you go over 30%, then that's more tax that goes to the state on the adult use side of it, of the transaction, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. I know. I remember seeing some stuff where it was some, I think it was Kush Cakes, and it was 40.99% total. And it was in a half ounce. I remember seeing that, I think it was around like September of last year. Hmm. And then... 
Like we also saw with Verano, they switched from one testing company to another. Yeah. And we saw how, like with patients, you had to explain how it was the same quality. It just tested by somebody different. Hmm. So even though they're used to getting like a wedding cake at 36%, the wedding cake at 28% is still about the same. It's just, you can't see everything that's in it with the lab that tested it, where the lab that was used prior to that could see more of what was in it, break it down further. Yep. One of the reasons I think they say THC percentages and everything when you're making that purchase <laughs> or the percentage, right. not the TH, the percentage that's on the menu, not necessarily the THC percentage, but yeah. Right. Yeah. I know. I've always thought that for the longest time because how I remember back in 2013 when it was brick and if you could find dro, then you were doing really well but you were still picking out seeds and stems and you probably had like 25 seeds and a little like dime bag or something like that like it was probably only around 10% but for some reason it still got everybody like mm -hmm. it still did the trick yeah. but recent technology with advancements in the agriculture industry and selective genetic like harvesting uh, has pretty much allowed the cannabis industry to figure out how to choose which phenotypes they want and breed them to make sure that there's stability. Well, it should happen like this, but breed them like stability and consistent like terpene profiles across. Yeah. Well, like you say, it should be that way. <laughs> it is what, what it is. Hear, like What we hear is that they pull crops early because they got to get the next rotation in, you know. Um, so while I've got no proof or anything like that, um, one thing I will say is that generally products that were like plants that were allowed to go the proper amount of time mm -hmm. usually have a little bit of CBN, um, and there's not really very much CBG in products. Whereas some of the dispensary stuff, you might be seeing like two to 4% CBG, which is an indication of early harvest. Um, CBG, I don't know, are you familiar with it? I've heard of it. I'm not familiar with it though. Um, so CBG is thought to be like the Rolls Royce of cannabinoids. Okay. And it is the precursor to all cannabinoids. So a plant, based on its genetics, can convert that CBG into THC or CBD or CBC um, in any of the various cannabinoids. Hmm. Um, and then um, it's actually found in the stock of the plant. And it's actually recommended to do like part of why you do a whole planting um, in like your harvest cycle is so that some of that CBG can 
kind of drain back down into the buds. Um, but CBG is thought to be like an anti-tumor. Um, it's also thought to be anti-anxiety as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of takes some of the raciness off of like a, a high that's too heady or too uplifting. Gotcha. Gotcha. So CBG can, like, it's definitely something that has a lot of purpose, but it's also one of those things that isn't required to be labeled that might be attributing a couple points in the background that we don't know about, you know? Very interesting. Um, so, so yeah, um, we were talking about, but asked the question of anything to be concerned about. I mean, I think we both kind of are saying that uh, let's see the results and, uh, you know, it's kind of, all I have to say really is that it is kind of interesting that they aren't being more apparent or explicit about the fact that these methods are being employed. There are other methods that are being employed. I think we should be clear about that, that are more, I don't know, regular like and not necessarily in illinois but like in other states just for example um like if you grow outdoor crop you know it's not unusual to spray that product down with some water to make sure that you rid it of any pests or anything that's just from the outdoor environment and for anybody that thinks that sounds weird i mean just think about the fact folks that it does rain on the product so i mean the product it can handle some water um and so you know there are different forms of remediation um but when i heard about irradiation specifically i I just i had never heard about it before and uh just the image in my head was pretty crazy so yeah i appreciate you coming on and chatting about some of these things um was there anything else that you wanted to specifically go over with this um not that I can think of. Gotcha. Um, cool, yeah. I do know overall, like, this isn't trying to, like, scare people and tell them, oh, don't go to dispensaries. But, like, I know that there are some people that do want to learn more about the products they're using and can't because of how the industry is set up. So maybe this might inspire somebody to call to their legislators to try to make bills to help enforce and regulate the processes better and to make it more transparent so you know what's going into products. Um, I know other states and like some uh, cultivations will tell you, yes, this is organic. In, in Illinois, there's an approved list of pesticides that I believe is the same one used for the agriculture industry hmm. that is allowed to be used in the cannabis industry. And because of that, some of the fertilizers and stuff that might be the best for cannabis might not be accessible to the growers. However, I'm not really sure about all that. I haven't done much research about what's accepted and not in terms of pesticides or fertilizers and nutrients but okay overall i think everybody should form their own opinion about it 
And I think at the end of the day, we should also be happy that we've made it about a year and a half in the legal weed and nobody's burned down anything crazy. Nobody's done <laughs> anything wild. Yeah. Well said, my friend. Well said. I think that's exactly the point of these conversations. I plan to have a few. There's a few folks that have reached out to me that, like I say, I've done a little bit more research than I have. You're one of them, Benny. So thank you so much for uh, joining us today to talk about uh, cannabis remediation, specifically irradiation. Like we say, like you said, um, not to to scare the shit out of people, and not to we're not like necessarily saying don't ever go to the dispensary, but we want to start like you said. Hopefully this inspires people to start the conversation about um, more tightly regulating this product. You know, people talk about how great um, regulation of this product is. And as we've talked about on the show, some uh, cultivators claim that you, you know, us peons, we can't be trusted to grow our own because <laughs> we're not regulated, right? So, but that's that's a whole rant I don't have to go on right now. But if, if they want to say that they're regulated, yeah, let's regulate it. Let's do right. it. Let's yeah, do exactly. It. Yeah. So. Let's, let's be able to make an informed decision about the products we're buying. We can do it with our produce. Apples are labeled if they're organic, if they're not, if they've been sprayed with a special plastic coating that helps preserve their freshness, that makes it so you have to wash them like, other industries have been able to regulate how they communicate what their product is. But hopefully Illinois can get on the same page so that we can be informed consumers. Well said. Well said. All right, my friend. Um, thank you for joining us in Chillinois. Till next time, I hope you found this conversation informative. Um, cheers.